What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Tiger interview series. This time I have um, on the line with Tim Jones and Tom Davis um, from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, Tim is our Pittsburgh director. Tom is a coach for him. And I found this to be um, an interesting conversation. I want these guys to come on board because one, um, these guys are with me down on the national team and we've had some dynamic conversations around recruiting, um, pitching philosophy, catching philosophy. So I wanted, I wanted to put this on the record and get it out in front of you guys, because that's one thing that I wish I did early on in my Tigers career was uh, we have so many dynamic com- conversations with guys because they've had different backgrounds, different experiences, and their philosophies are a little bit different too. And being able to share those philosophies and sharing those ideas is only going to help the organization not hurt it. I'm a big believer that there's not one way to um, do something. And I might not agree with that person, but I also will be open to the idea because it could change my mind. So with that said, I want to bring in these two gentlemen and I want to have a dynamic baseball conversation around player development catching, hitting, recruiting. So with that said, Tom, hit it off. Give us an elevator pitch of who you are to let everyone know. Thanks, Spiker, for for having me on. How are you, Tim? It's like we never talk. Um, (laughs) My name's Tom Davis. Um, I I live live here in Pittsburgh. I coach the 18U uh, elite showcase team for for Timmy and work with him. Uh, it seems like we spend <laughs> five conversations a day on the phone and everything like that. Uh, I've co- I, I played professionally in the Red Sox organization, coached collegiately, and I've coached high school and and in college ball and, and everything for the last 30 years and a seen a lot of things and uh, I'm so happy to be with Rawlings. I, I like what we're trying to implement and how we're going about doing stuff through developmental uh, things and everything like that. And I just appreciate you having me on. Tim, hit it off. What I know we've already done introductions for you, but just do a, pr- a brief overview um, and then let's head into the conversation. Sure. Yeah, it's always a pleasure being back. Thank you again, Spiker. Uh, Tim Jones, regional director here in Pittsburgh. Uh, bucking the trend, you know, changing the Pittsburgh region. I've been coaching for almost 20, 20 some years now. Uh, I look younger than I am. Don't mind the gray hair here. Uh, but we love what we do. You know, we develop players. We've got guys even as high as 18U on the elite team where it's funny. They they love it. They're like, you you tore me down and built me back up the way I was supposed to be built my whole life. Uh, and we start, we started the younger ages and just build people up. You know, we have a lot of unique backgrounds. So, trying to change the baseball world here in the Northeast, which is a different beast than down South or the Midwest. And I got an amazing group of coaches with me that are are really making a difference in the game. So excited to be here. When you guys get a first, when you guys get introduced to your team for the first time, and obviously you've had various conversations with players onto the side through tryouts and you're building up a core what are the first things that you guys try to implement going into a season with, let's just say it's a new team that you just started. 
how, what, what are the big things that you are trying to implement to set the table up for a successful season? I'll go first. Um, for me, you know, I could kind of touch on every single team because they're all brand new, right? And, I mean, even today, we, we just added another player today to our 18U team. Uh, the biggest thing for me is, is I start with the culture first. The biggest thing that a lot of players and a lot of parents are used to is you pay an exorbitant amount of money and there's no development. They expect you to get developed. It never happens. And then you play in, in you know, 50, 60, 80 games and you're traveling a ton. So it gets up there about 10 grand a year just to be on a travel team. And, and what's the bottom line? My kid doesn't get any better. He doesn't know the game any better than what he would with playing locally rec ball right so what we try to do is we we convey everything under the sun with the culture itself you know it's a big aspect we interview our parents as much as our kids and we evaluate our parents as much as our kids accountability is something that's tough to coach certain players uh, but we explain to them point blank you know we do it for a reason it's it's here because we want to make you better and you have to want it um, and we introduce the kids like we have fun with them we have conversations with them individually we do it as a team we explain it uh, we were very good motivators overall and what's awesome and what's unique, you know, a good example is, is our player, Sam, that just joined today, his dad and he were both blown away because they came in the third week of practice of the winter season. We'd already done one in the fall and we've completed strength and conditioning. So these guys were together a total of six, seven times before the winter. So like eight total, but the cohesiveness is there because we have coaches that are implementing in the middle of practice. We're hands-on doing things with them. We're explaining it so they have the intent. And then they're working hard, and we praise them on their hard work, and they can see the results themselves. So it's it's painting that picture, but then delivering on the back end as well. Tom, but they love the cohesiveness. Tom, you, you've coached college, and you're now at the amateur level, and then you've also seen the pro side of things with your playing career. Um, dive a little bit deeper on that because um, it, it's different because it's not a business aspect, more of a team aspect. How do you how do you approach it? Number one, from coaching, um, you know, and I, we'll get into this probably a little later, but Tim hit it right on the head. Number one, you have to establish uh, a culture. And from day one, I mean, before even stretching and everything, um, you know, uh, Myself and my coaches, Tyler and Jeff, uh, have established, uh, you know, expectations. Okay, there's certain non-negotiables that uh, that that you'll go through. But also, well, we really, really stress um, slowing stuff down, giving the giving the the how and why we're doing stuff this way. Um, you know. With the, with the culture is fundamentals and buy-in and, and, and being positive with kids. Uh, I, I think Tim has been there and seen practices. I mean, my, my big thing that I always tell my kids is hey, be aggressive in anything that you're doing on the field. You know, I would rather you make an aggressive mistake than, than everything else. And the other, the other real part of it is I try to incorporate because my kids are older and that, you know, they're looking to go play and all that, you know, we're going to run our stuff like a college program. So, you know, we have set practice plans and everything that, that we go over and we try to hit on everything. Like, um, you know, we, we did a, 
two weeks ago, we were doing our first um, um, fielding, our you know, fielding and everything like that we threw. And then we did uh, like an hour and 15 minutes of PFP and bunt defenses and got it down and worked it. And kids really started picking up because we slowed stuff down. I, I allow my assistants and Tim, Tim knows this, Spiker. I mean, you know, you're as good as the people that you bring in around you. And I, you know what? The one thing uh, with me is when I was an assistant is all people always let me coach. And, you know, I want them to feel free to sit there and coach their areas and, and add points and everything. So kids can see that there's backup and the coaches are together and everything like that. But it all goes into that culture. If you don't have a culture and chemistry with your people and your parents and and buy in and this is why this is you know we're developing uh we're we're go, we're base roots fundamental and for when you make all the fundamental plays i mean from all my years of coaching every coach has said it's funny it's a we make the we want to make the routine plays and everything else will come off of that so i mean it it we may not be, and the kids notice, because I said first year program, we might not be the most talented team, but teams are going to hate to play us because we're going to be tough fundamentally and mentally. I always think it's dynamic when you're able to give a player in the team its freedom, autonomy, but then I see other teams where it's super strict and kids are afraid to make a mistake and then it becomes like a dictatorship rather than hey I want I want creativity I want you to be as creative as you possibly can but inside of these parameters I always think that's a successful way of building a team what's your thoughts on that I agree you know I think I think a lot of times you know you know your areas right like you know your areas of expertise or you you go out and you do a lesson because that's where you excel the most and you know, we've, we've touched on this too with the national team where each coach kind of had their niche where they excelled the most at. And when you do that and you have a coaching staff, it, it's one ma major aspect. But the second side of it is if you give them the ability to coach and coach individually and coach the group as a whole, kids respect you as a coach. Whereas if a coach tells you something and then the head coach comes in and just, no, we're not doing it that way, we're not doing it this way, how often do you feel that they would – respect that assistant coach or take what they say and 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 just go by the wayside like well that's not what the head coach said you know it kind of makes more animosity with between the players and the coaches than anything else um and i know tom does it that way too like we all feed off of each other we all let each other go out and do it and i tell my guys point blank go out there and do your stuff you know like take charge when you need to just tell them what you want to tell them coach them we want you to have that leadership ability, even at the assistant coaching role, because you're going to lead certain aspects and you have to be able to do it so you can gain their respect and trust as well. Tom, is there anything you want to add on to that? No, I mean, I, I think that, that Tim's Tim hit it uh, right on the head. I mean, you know, in, in building, it's it's that that trust between coaches. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, and, and I'll go back to our 15U national thing and Cody and and Josh and and Tim and all that. I mean, you know, we met the first time that I met. I I knew Tim, but I'm like, 
hey, how you doing? This is Tom, whatever you need me to do. Spike, how are you? I mean, you know, everything like that. And, you know, I am going to tell you, and I, I watch I watch your guys' podcast. I'd love to have that say, I'd love to sit there and coach that team right there and in June go down and play. Because I heard, you know, oh, we'd have been 4-0. Well, we'd have been more 4-0 and everything because we'd have, we'd have been play, playing on. But the whole thing is, I, I mean, you know, for 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 that for that venue and and you know um, for for us, you know, hey, how how are you? Where are you from? Las Vegas, mm-hmm. St. Louis, Cincinnati, and and meeting them like that. And then, you know, get the buy-in. It's like, hey, you know, you might want to do this or, you know, I mean, going out with the pitchers. I mean, I gave them the same talk that I give my pitchers coming in after bullpen and, and everything the, the whole time. And then that, then seeing them start doing that and, and Timmy working with the catchers and then, you know, the hitter, the, the hitting in the infield and outfield. I just think you could see after three games, it was like the kids in their head. Hey, we get it. These guys, these guys are putting us in a good position to do stuff. And, you know, the, the fourth game, I mean, you know, it wasn't the best team that we played, but I'm going to tell you what, we got better and, and more up on everything every time. Without a doubt. Um, I want to go down the strategy route. Um, with a lot of coaches, they look at their rosters and they think, okay, we got three things to cover. We have um, defense, we have hitting, and then we have pitching. It seems like those are the main three categories. Obviously, we can go more niche and we can go a little bit more specific, but I don't want to go down that route. I just want to talk about broad aspect of strategy and implementation. When you look at your team and you figure out, okay, these are the, these are the things that I need to work on, how, how do you approach that? from the offensive side, the defensive side, and the pitching side? Like, do you create a priority list? Like, hey, I want to have a more defensive team. I want to have a more uh, pitching-centric team, or I want to have a more offensive team. Like, or do you, do you just put it all together and you try to figure it out? How do you guys approach that? I know for me, like, a lot of what I do is, you know, I know my, my area. So I'll do catchers. I'll work with the catchers a ton. I do a lot of hitting as well. So I'll focus on those areas and I put it on myself. You know, I'm going to develop these guys. I'm going to give you feedback on what I see. We're going to continue to build over here. Then we'll get a guy that's defensive and they're going to focus on the defensive side. Everyone's watching at the same time, putting in their feedback and kind of filling in their roster positions with one, two, three, et cetera. Then you got the guy that's working with the pitchers. So what makes it nice is if you have a good staff, you can have someone leading each one. So that way you're just focusing on what you need to focus on. And then you reconvene as a coaching staff, you compare the notes, and then you have the eye test of all all three coaches, right? Or four in our case, when I come in and help out as well. Um, And I think the way that you do that is you take a, a couple different things happen. You take the weight off of other coaches, especially a head coach who's trying to put everything together at once or just focusing on one thing. And I've seen head coaches focus on one thing, especially in a practice. And it's like, we just did this for an hour. How many kids are really focusing right now? or really want to be here right now. They they just lost everything you told them over the last 40 minutes, probably. Right. So if you segment it and you continue to go through those, those drills and skills and whatever the case is, every single time that you meet, you're going to improve each time that you do them. And when you have your individual groups, if you do those, it's you're more successful as a whole team 
than you would be is if you're trying to implement everything at once. Where on the flip side, if you have a, a coaching staff that's predominantly all defensive guys, chances are they're going to be a very good defensive team because that's where they excel the most. Uh, they might struggle with pitching or hitting or or vice versa, whatever the roles are. Um, I think it's very difficult for any coach to kind of tackle them all at once and implement them or just go with the flow and figure out what you've got. You have to watch to an, to an extent to see what you have. But if you have a good staff where you can segment what they do well, then those guys can focus on what they need to focus on to get the team as a whole better throughout the whole process. What would be your recommendation for a coach that they have a decent baseball background, not like they just lo they love the game, right? And they, they wanted to coach and give back. But when they're like doing a weekly practice, they have, let's just say hypothetically, it's two practices a week. How would you break down those practices? Would you just literally like, all right, we're going to go to the cages and just work on hitting today, or we're going to go to the cages and we're going to bunt today because that's the only thing we can do because we only have a rectangle that's, 90 feet long and only eight feet wide. So how, all we can do is just hit. How, how, how do you, how do you approach that? How, what would you be a recommendation? And Tom, jump, jump in on this. If you, if you want. Uh, my big, my biggest thing that I do, it's, it's kind of similar to how we have our space now, right? Like if we could have your space, we, we would be in heaven right now. Right. <laughs> Teleportation's coming soon. Elon's going to ma be making it. So. I love it. I, we're adding space. Like we've gotten so big that we're actually adding more space at our venue now. Um, so we're, we're kind of limited. So we rotate every day. One day's defensive, one day's hitting in bullpens, right? So we can focus on what we need to focus and, and we're not drawing the, the kids' attention spans to do everything under the sun and rush through it. We have to do it with intent. So what I recommend is don't just go in there and swing, right? If you got a player, no matter what age he is, if you've got a whole team of 10, 12 kids, if you're just going in there and swinging and that's it, you're just going in there to bunt, it's very difficult. So you got to make sure that you have at least another guy. Give specific drills and walk around and reinforce the proper mechanics, the proper behaviors of what you need. So that way you can continue to help them grow. And then do stations. Do a station of bunting. Do another station of bunting. Then you go into some foundational hitting things. If you got a small space with fielding, split them up. You know, you have two coaches. One's going to one corner, one's going to the other. This guy's doing all backhand. This guy's doing glove side. This guy's going right in front, short hops. You just mix it up and force yourself to get better at time management and don't extend it. You know, if you need to do something extra, circle back at the end of practice if you have time and do it. But don't extend yourself. Make sure that you're going through it. And I think the biggest issue for a lot of coaches is time management where they get stuck on a topic. Like I've seen guys do rundowns and – they don't get it right and they're doing it for like an hour and a half and then they're like man i didn't get through the other eight things i have to do like yeah so is that helpful or is that not helpful? and you, and and you've killed your you you've killed your kids in the process by sticking right. on that for that time i mean that's, that's, you know you look at our practices and you know they go an hour and a half and really i mean like like my practices that I always do, I mean, I always, people were like, man, I'd love to get three hours. I'm like, if you have kids out there for three hours, guess what? You have an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes that those kids are like, okay, okay. Now, kids today, I think that, you know, they need to sit there and look and see a plan or you need to give them the plan, see what it's going to go. 
boom, 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 boom. And you have to stick towards your plan. If you're working something and you're not happy with it, you're going to come back to it and start with that. Uh, you know, probably the next hot, the next time that you're going through that. But I, I mean, I'm like Tim. I mean, I'm, I'm a big situation guy. Every practice, we are going to go over situations. Uh, he could tell you. I mean, we go into we, when we go into hitting and we go into cage. It's usually a situational hitting thing because. You know, it's 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 so funny when you talk or when Timmy was saying about a you know big thing right now is reps, reps, reps. Well, no, the big thing is proper reps. You have to do stuff correctly. I mean, I'm a big proponent, and and Timmy talks about you know if you get if you get a hundred proper swings in and everything, and you're doing that correctly, and that's getting in your mind instead of you know, 500 and me having to sit there and, and, you know, constantly stop you because you're rushing and everything else like that. Do things to take time to do things the right way. Do your situations because situations challenge, challenge your players. I like that. I like that idea of telling the players what to expect during practice you see it with fortune 500 companies, like really good CEOs or even good startup companies. They, every, every meeting is like a 10 to 20 minute meeting. It's not, we're not spending three hours and just bashing your heads in with information. It's we're going to, I'm going to tell you what the game plan is. We're going to execute on that game plan. It's like a military execution. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to, we're not going to be very strict on you doing it a certain way. There's going to be some freedom here, but these are the priorities that we have for this day. And I feel like there's a lot more buy-in from players when they know what the route is and they know that there's a, there's a time frame. Okay. I have practice at 8 AM and we're going to end at 9 15. And then you honor that 9 15 because then you're going to get more buy-in on the next round for that practice. And you're going to see the guys work a lot harder when there's no end in sight as human beings, what do we naturally do? You just, just lose interest. Yeah, you lose interest. You're like, is this ever gonna end? <laughs> yeah, I mean, i i got I got a date tonight. I got schoolwork to do. I got all kinds of stuff, man. Like, I want to watch Oprah. Like, come on, we gotta get this. Gotta get this thing over with. I think you get parents too. Well, you, this is a, this is a question for you too. Like, you see your guys in St. Louis, you know. And how many times do you notice coaches, like all the coaches you guys have, because you guys have a ton of teams, coaches that come prepared, what do their teams end up looking like versus coaches that just come in and wing it during a practice? You know, what do you notice on on your level there? Because a lot of what we do, we like to mimic what you guys do. I know for me personally, when I see teams that are constantly going through a routine and they, they have structure, they're, they're pretty good teams and they're very respectable and they stick to it. Kids are just showing up and you're just going through motions and winging it. Those kids aren't focused. They're not focused in a game. So what's your take that's, on that? That's where I think organizations and clubs are very valuable for coaches because it gives them a sense of they start looking at other coaches inside the organization naturally. And they'll also look at the high school program because they know that these guys have have serious backgrounds. Like they, they've been around the block and, and at, and the and the young guys been around the block too. So like a 24, 25 year old coach that um, is just now starting out, he's more advanced than the volunteer coach because he just went through a 
grueling career with college and professional. So I feel like when coaches are inside of an organization, they have a better idea and a better concept of, and they learn a lot faster naturally through observation because they're around like-minded people. Now there are some independent teams that do have really good or really good teams, really good squads because it stems off of that leadership of the coach because at some point he either a takes it from his corporate life or he is an entrepreneur or has a serious well-respected background that he's able to do a correlation and, and make it into baseball. And he's like, Oh, I do this and this. So that makes sense. I'll just do it in here. And, and, it looks really, really well, but then you have other guys that they freak out because they don't, they don't, they've never had that experience and they're just kind of shooting from the hip and they're like, all right, let's, here's the balls, here's the pads, here's the gloves and uh, let's see what happens. Now, do I fault them for that? No, because you only know what you know. So I think for a coach that is looking for more insight, that's why I like these Tiger TV interviews because again, I'm getting to know Tom a lot more and he's going to, he, he has a career and he has experiences and he's going to give me some advice that, um, indirectly or directly that I'm like, Oh man, I never thought about that. That is super smart. Or even you, Tim, like I, if we three years ago, four years ago, I wouldn't have had this conversation and I wouldn't have known how, what Matt, what like example, Matt Lyle and social media and that side of things and knowing, Hey, that's a really cool concept. Let me dig a little bit deeper. What's his hitting philosophy? And that's very, very valuable because it's able to transition to your players. So to basically answer your question, yes, it's super important to be um, organized and have a game plan heading into a practice or a game. I like it. Good answer. Catchers. Catchers. This is a topic that is not necessarily talked about that often. There's a couple of Twitter guys out there that do a really phenomenal job. Um, in our, in our area, we have a catching guy that, um, has developed a really good clientele and he does a phenomenal job. And there's, there's one other guy in our location and it just seems like catchers always get neglected. <laughs> Me personally, I think catchers are getting, have gotten worse over the years. Um, and then when you, but there's like a huge disparity, I would say like on average, it hasn't gotten better, but the guys that are talented are getting really, really good. And then you have the rest of the class. So it's like, it's gone more up here and then everyone has dropped and there's like no middle ground. There's no happy medium. There isn't, there isn't. I'm seeing more and I'm seeing more pitchers that are really good. Like the average pitching has just skyrocketed because I think that's the driveline movement. Um, and it's just easier to teach. It's more systematic. It's not as dynamic. Um, teaching fielding is tough and it's hard. Um, so I think like just defensive wise, the really good guys have gotten really, really good. And then there's no middle ground. How do you approach your catchers on your team? And what are the, what are the things that you prioritize, prioritize? Uh, we do it, you know, we, we kind of do it by age. Obviously there's different levels where we can amp things up. We try our best to, to start on a lot more of the mental and intelligent aspects of catching when they hit 13. So that way, when they do get to 15, they're freshmen going into high school, they're ready to go, you know, and, and kind of pairing with what you said, it's crazy. You know, I don't know how many times I can tell you, I've seen two catchers on a team. One kid has the cannon but the other catcher is the blocker. 
So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you, you have to pick. It they like worry about they worry about pop time because pop time's easily measurable, right? Blocking's not measurable. No. Even calling games is not measurable. There's not. I think it's been a huge disservice for catcher for coaches calling the game for catchers and not teaching them how to do it. Like I'm all for I'm all for coaches calling a game. I think that's very valuable. But just calling the game and not telling them why they chose certain pitches or having those conversations. Like example, 15, 15U on the national team. I told, I told the catchers, ask questions to Tim. He's calling pitches for a certain reason. Understand why he's calling that. He's got the experience. You've got the athletic ability. Now, what happens if you have the experience and the athletic ability? You own the game. You're the quarterback. You're the Tom Brady now, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of comes down to. And, you know, my approach to a lot of things is it's very fundamental at the younger levels because that's where you, you start to see the, the pitchers are getting better, right? So you, that's when you start seeing the catchers where their gloves are here and then they're catching a ball back here or they're all over the place because it's the, the velocity is taking them back, right? They, they get so comfortable in that low stance and they're comfortable. We call it the lazy stance because no one's on base. Um, you know, I didn't have knee savers back then. Kids are, are almost afraid to use their shin guards to slide and move and everyone likes to back pick the curveballs. No one predicts things, right? Like no one, they're, they're just there to kind of block when they need to, but then they leave their five hole wide open or they don't angle themselves back to the plate. So we do a lot of fundamentals. What I do a lot with my catchers to start is literally it's all kinetics it's all it's all your body so we're doing different leg drags we're doing duck walks we're doing frog hops bunny hops whatever you want to call them uh we're doing framing like a lot of guys don't know where to catch the ball so we'll use ping pong balls where they're just receiving 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 you do around the world receiving 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 then we get into some blocking drills uh, then we do the t-line drill on top of that and then as you get advanced once you get the blocking down you're starting to understand things right so now we start to get into, let's get more into the predictive stuff. You know, let's get into some sequence pitching. You know your pitchers, and we like to pair up some units overall because there are some catchers that will catch a pitcher better just because they're they're better at framing per se, but it's more or less how they drive their glove. You know, it's like, it's hard to teach a younger kid that, yeah, you use your glove like you're driving a car. You know, if you're trying to make a left-hand turn, you don't turn it this way with your thumb down to, to receive an inside pitch because now you're gonna turn your car to the right. So how do you connect with them, right? So we all, we use it this way. And if you get that nice little little squeeze in, you hear that, that hard pop. And now when they hit 13, we start to teach them, listen, you might have a kid that throws 81 miles an hour, but his spin rate's like 67. So it, it's not as hard as you think. Well, then the next guy coming in throws 76, but his spin rate's 98. So to the hitter, it looks like it's coming in just as fast, but it's not, so his timing's off. So what do we start to look at, you know? So we teach our catchers to be athletic, athletic stance. Don't leave your glove on the ground. By by all means, please, 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 every catcher out there, give your pitcher a target. And if you actually ask your pitchers how frustrated they get because you don't give them a target, they don't know where to throw the ball, right? They want to trust you and they want you to receive it. And good catchers will get good calls for good for pitchers and Pitchers hate me when I say this. Good catchers make better pitchers because they get those calls <laughs> based on how they receive it, right? Yeah. And that's the difference. That's the difference between pro ball and 
um, youth. Like the there was that trend out there where I forgot who it was. Was it Montero who was saying he puts his glove on the ground and then works himself up to the zone? That's a totally different beast than a 13-year-old and 14-year-old. Like those pros, they don't really need that big target. Like they they understand what they're trying to do. They've been they know what they're trying to accomplish when they go up onto the rubber and they're trying to compete. Like I don't know if you guys saw Marcus Stroman's um, interview with uh, P- Pitching Ninja. It was on Twitter a while back. It was so fascinating. It was the most interesting baseball conversation I've ever listened to. And it's literally Marcus Stroman telling the pitching ninja how he thinks about his different grips and how it comes off of his fingertips and how he thinks about the laces. Now, can you go up to a 14-year-old boy and ask him that? No, he has no idea. Nope. You, you can throw. begin and and all that, and you know I'm always a, a big proponent in tinkering and everything. But you know that's why there are the different levels. I mean, but the whole thing is, I mean, they they really need to think about it. Like here at Mars, and Tim knows, man, we've had just just some some awesome awesome pitchers at the last high school. Uh, you know, we had. Uh, a kid named Will Bednar was the, the last kid that we had. And I'm going to tell you what, I mean, he, uh, seeing him as a junior, 95, 96, and 88 mile an hour cutter and everything like that. And we tankered and tankered and tankered in, in, in bullpens and everything. And it's funny, but, you know, I, I just want to touch, touch on the catching thing and everything like that. I mean, it's it's so funny, and you know you know him, Spiker. I mean, I I have a fifteen year old that's playing eighteen year ball. He's a pretty very, good, very very grounded, coachable kid that's athletic that does does a lot of stuff. I know Tim likes him, and my big one of my biggest things, and this goes back to culture and getting getting stuff established, is like. You know, when we were doing bunt defenses, I had infielders calling, you know, okay, here, here, here. And I'm like, uh-uh. I said, 15 years old, we got to trust in his calls. And I sit there and, and I talk him up the whole time that we're doing this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you go out there, you see it, you make the call. You live and die with it. And I said, I will trust your head. We're going to coach you and everything like that. And I know experience-wise, I know there's going to be mistakes, but he's going to learn so much from them. You know, I that's why you ask questions. And kids that ask questions and, and all that and come in and, and want to know, those are the people that sit there and, and take stuff to a higher level. It's trying to get those players to ask the questions that's like the art of coaching when it comes to like how do you get someone to ask a question especially the introvert because the introvert is as good as the extrovert but how do you get that person to feel comfortable to come up to you and ask that question i I, I ask that question of them i know that i i know that that introverted kid so number one he's not gonna you know what before he asked it i'm gonna say on the way in you're looking at me like, why did I call that? So here's my answer. And they're like, okay. And all that. And then they start, they start getting, 
that that starts bringing them out. It's being curious. It's trying to get them to be curious. Uh, I, that, that's the answer. It's human nature. Like that's what I love about coaching is like, how do I get someone to be curious to the point that I'm curious how I'm asking questions to you guys right now? Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I like to simplify things, but I love it when parents tell me or kids tell me like, yeah, good luck getting him to talk to you because he's quiet. Oh, don't worry. He's going to have conversations and he's going to go in detail with things with me. And I, what I do a lot of is I simplify it, but I give them just enough to make them think. So that way they have questions whenever they come back. And, you know, to kind of touch on that, where like telling why telling Mendy, like, Hey, listen, know your pitchers. Okay. You know, you're throwing a curveball that's going to break outside. So, you know, his curveball is breaking over here. Give him his target. As soon as his leg comes up, move your body over. So you're in a better position to receive it, to get that strike call. Don't just wait for it and try and back pick it. Like why it likes to back pick every once in a while. Once we got to game three, he was sliding over and blocking it because he knew it. Now we've worked on, hey, listen, you got to move over so you can receive it better. And you got to stick that, that change up on the outside because it's going to come a little bit slower. If you just receive it all the way into you, it's going to look lower to that umpire. Now, what the other side of it is, you know, start looking at some of the hitters. You know, every catcher knows like, okay, it's top, it's top. And when they're paying attention, start to see where they're standing in the box. Okay, so now we're starting to get a better idea of, Okay, maybe we should throw this pitch because he went, you know, we threw a fastball and it was inside. He turned on it and hit a triple down the line, right? Okay, so his hot zone might be on the inside. What's my pitcher doing? Is he giving a tell with a short stride on a fastball, a longer, higher knee kick, leg kick, and a longer stride because he's trying to slow himself down on a curveball? Is he telling my hitter enough? Now, once they start to get that and I ask him, like, hey, how many pitches that I call did you call the same way where are we at give me a percentage and first time they're usually lying they're a little bit higher then after that they're like how's it like 50 60 good now we have a conversation so let's start talking about what are you seeing there that i can't see here so now we can have that conversation and put our minds together two lines are greater than one so now we can start working you notice your pitcher struggle a little bit maybe he has to work backwards we're gonna throw an oo count curveball because he needs to settle in a little bit, right? Now that guy's off balance. Now we can amp it up and go to sequence pitching with intentional shake-offs. You plant that little seed of doubt. Your goal is to get him off balance, and you're seeing what he's doing. And once you get to that next level, I go a little bit more advanced on signs where I keep it simple on signs. It's, it's really easy to do. But then they can give me a sign back like, hey, he's crowding the plate like crazy. Let's let's jam him inside or throw a curveball inside. It's gonna we're aiming at his head and we want it to break across the inside middle end of the plate where he's gonna struggle trying to hit that pitch if it's a good pitcher. Have those conversations with your pitcher after every inning so that way they calm down and the the anxiety's gone. Just hit your spots. Just hit your spots, throw what you got, trust yourself, the team will take care of the rest. I'm gonna I'm gonna receive everything as best I can for you. You get your every call into the sun. Have let him know where the umpire's calling a strike so he doesn't get mad. Right. And let them know, hey, that's my fault. I didn't do this. Now you have those conversations. You just simplify things. And when you do that, now you get the pitcher asking you questions on top of the catcher. And then you're having that small group conversation in the dugout. Like for me, I can't tell you how many outs are in a game or, you know, I might look up briefly and see a kid's out of position. You know, I don't have the chance to focus on that stuff because I do very well there. And our pitchers and catchers excelled down at the perfect game. And I like to work with our catchers to make them smarter. So when they get older, now they're in charge. They can, they know how to control that game. They know what to look for. It's just a lot to look for between hitters, pitchers, tendencies, the umpire zone, making sure that you're comfortable in moving back there. 
you know, imagine if I threw you back there, Spiker, you know, how many times have you ever caught a bullpen just to catch one, right? It's, it's very difficult, but if you plant the, the foundation and you do a step-by-step and start this conversation throughout a whole season, imagine where the, that kid's going to be next year or in the fall. Right. The other thing is, I mean, number one with your pitcher, and it was like the fourth game that we had. I mean, 12 nothing, no hitter shot. 80, probably 85% of our pitches were fastballs. Number one, they did that. The pitchers executed a game plan, pound the zone, work ahead. And they, and you know what? Just change in locations and change in eye level. You didn't have to throw that much. Catchers will have a tendency of, okay, you know what? I'm just throwing this pitch because we threw two fastballs in a row. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they don't understand the pitch sequence. They don't understand. Um, they, they think, oh, the pitcher has a curveball, so I'm just going to throw the curveball. His curveball is really good, so I'm just going to keep throwing it, and then we have an arm problem. Instead of... <laughs> yeah. Let's just establish a fastball. Let's continue the fastball and let's go and let's roll with it. I think coaches struggle with that too. Someone that's not been in baseball, which again, that's the, that's why I love doing these things is we got to, we got to, we got to understand how do you actually call a game? How do you actually pitch sequence? What's, what are the things that, because 90% of high school pitchers, if they just threw a fastball, they'd get so many outs. Like, yeah, one guy might run into one, but you're still winning ball games. Why do you always it's, throw a curveball with two strikes? Like what? What's like the reasoning for that? There's no reason. I know, but everybody does it, and they love to do it because that's like the status quo, right? My favorite analogy is this: is that um, I I forgot where I, I I heard this, but it was actually in high school. And you guys are gonna judge me for this analogy, but rock paper scissors. You know that game. So someone came up with the idea: is that why do you always switch up your call? on a rock, paper, scissors, because the probability of that person switching theirs is higher than yours, right? So why don't you just throw down rock? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Why didn't I just do that? Sure. So literally we had a, a don't, I don't know how this happened, but we had a rock, paper, scissors tournament and all I did was throw down rock and I ended up going to the championship. It's the same thing with baseball is that everyone's expecting you to throw a curveball. Everyone's expecting you to throw a changeup. Why don't you just throw a fastball? Like it's hard to adjust to an inside fastball on an O2 count. It's it's really hard. Or, or like they said, the other thing. I mean, you know, and people will say, "Well, you know, I don't want to waste the pitch." But uh, the pitchers learn down there. It's like, okay, let's just O2. Let's change his eye level. Changing his eye level. And I said, I want to throw a high fastball, so I want to be shoulder shoulder to nose. Because, you know, hey, if he swings at it, I mean, he has probably a 5% chance of catching up to that pitch, squaring it up and hitting it hard. Usually, if he hits it, it's going to go, you know, up into the, the infield as a pop-up. And, and you get them out, you get them out with throwing the most basic of stuff. And, and my big thing is learning to change up because I'm a, you want to get the best hitters in the game on, you have a good change up and, 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 and you, you throw that and mix that in with them. You, you own them. Yeah. It's a good show. It's a good show pitch. So, I mean, if you, if you're able to show, show something once or twice, that literally sets the table for the rest of the game and hitters are going to be guessing. I mean, that's a really good point. I want to go back to this catcher's, thing um because we i want to sum it up 
on a priority list for if you have a new catcher, what do you what's your priority list? We've talked about pop time. We've talked about blocking. We've talked about game management. We've talked about um, pitch calling, um, framing. What's your what's your priority list? What are you, what are the things that you're focusing on? You mean to, as far as developing them or just yeah. developing them? As far as developing them, the first thing that I start with uh, mobility, hands down. If you Mobil- you said mobility. Mobility. I think it's one of the most overlooked things under the sun because if you're not mobile back there, you can't be back there. So when you mean mobile, like how do you how do you develop mobility? Uh, one, you have to stretch. A lot of catchers don't stretch enough. A lot of catchers end up with, you know, they'll have issues with their hamstrings or quads or glutes, you know, Players in general, just in general, you know, like if they can't, if they have no lateral movement, are they going to be able to slide and block? Are they going to be able to get down and block? You know, I, I have to see their athletic ability back there first. And if that's the first case, we're going to, we're, we're just going to do that. We're not even going to receive yet. Secondly, we go into receiving. Uh, then we go into blocking as well. If you can't receive, you're, there's no point in trying to block because you're not ready to go back there yet. So you gotta you gotta go by steps. Now, once you get that and you get that going and you're working on it routinely, we're gonna start working on okay, well, how do we move the glove? How do we receive better to frame a little bit better? Um, and we just we work through the foundations of that. So you know, I'm a little bit different where. You can tell me that you're a catcher. You can tell me you play three positions, but if you're not mobile back there and you don't have any flexibility and you're not able to get down and block, um, or if you leave your your non-glove hand exposed all the time, I've seen kids break their arms by doing that. Um, you know, you can't really, I can't trust putting you back there if you're always letting balls get behind you, right? So you have to have someone good. I've seen a lot of programs, especially at the rec level, they have a short backstop and it's like, eh, whoever's left on the bench, we're just going to put back there. So mobility, receiving, blocking, then we start to go and amp it up to more advanced stuff. Gotcha. I'm gonna. I, I, I like. I like your, your answer, and I'm. I'm just gonna say, you know, and 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 looking to start and work with a catch, toughness and, and competitiveness, and because number one, if they're not that, they're not gonna last back there to get to get to anything anyhow. So. I mean, you you take that tough that 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 hard kid and and put them put them back there and 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 build them up and coach them like like Tim said, and you know you teach that mobility and when when you have that you're not afraid of that mobility you're not afraid of of anything else and um, it, it makes it that much that much. Harder and, and you can usually tell who's a tough catcher and and who's and who's not and uh, you know that's a very strong point, Tom, on competitiveness. I had a player the other night, and I I love putting players in uncomfortable situations that are in general mainstream viewed as out of the ordinary and like why would we even do that? I love doing that because it puts them in a, this guy's freaking crazy. Um, so we have a bat, a heavy bat that I literally made it a plus 10 plus 20 and it's all end loaded. So you have to literally guide somebody through that to actually swing it, or you're going to have a lot of mechanical flaws. And I first gave it to him and he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And I'm going to go and we're going to do BP. And I guided him through, this is how you do it. This is how you handle the bat. This is what we're going to do. Um, this is how your body needs to move. And we're going to slowly build you into this. And the 
reason I did it was I threw as hard as I normally do with his normal bat, and I wanted to see how he would react to it and try to teach the competitiveness side of it. I, did, I could care less what the mechanics looked like in general just to make sure that he's handling the bat correctly. That was my main goal. But more importantly is can you compete with me? Can you get into the box in a very uncomfortable situation and then figure out a way to beat me? Don't let that bat beat you. And I don't think a lot of coaches do that anymore. I know that my coaches, when I was growing up, that was the thing that they, they, they didn't know much about baseball. So they, they grew up in a competitive world and all they wanted to do was figure out how can I make this kid a tough son of a gun? How can I make him just want to run through a fence? <laughs> I love that. It's like a pressure situation. Yeah. If you, if you give kids pressure situations, whenever it, it, it happens in a game, they're more relaxed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he was so worried about mechanics. Like, but Spike, my, this is doing wrong and this is going wrong. Like, well, time out, time out, bro. I don't care how your mechanics look. Like right now, there's not a scout in the stands that's figuring out if you if you look good or not, or if there's a girlfriend out there that thinks that you look good. It's just me and your dad, and we're just figuring out if you can beat me. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Which heads me into this topic of hitting philosophies. This is a Pandora's box whenever you get three coaches in a room and you try to figure out, Oh, this is how I teach. This is how I teach hitting. Just look at Twitter. I saw a really good uh, meme on Twitter the other day. It was, um, a guy said, this is how Twitter reacts. And then it was a video of two dogs between two fences, just barking at each other as <laughs> aggressively as they can. <laughs> Uh, and no one agrees and nothing is solved and everyone thinks that that guy's full of it. Um, but I, I like having the conversation because then it gets people, if it's, if they see us having the convo, they can end up coming up with like, yeah, Tim's right. Um, Spiker's full of crap. Uh, Tom has some really good ideas or like, you know, like I, I want that type of, that's how people get better. Right. Then they, they develop their own philosophy. So when you guys get a hitter for the first time, and you're trying to teach them. Well, let's let's back out. Let's do team first. What is your hitting philosophy as a team? You know, I'll, I'm going to start it this way to kind of kind of pair off and spin off what you said. You get hurt. You go to a doctor. You don't like what he says, right? What do you do? You go see another doctor. You get another opinion, right? Pretty mm -hmm. much how it works with hitting coaches too, right? Yep. It's, <laughs> don't get offended. Don't get mad. It's okay. I'm going to work with this guy. You know, like I, I love those guys on Twitter that think they're they're the almighty and they know everything. It's like this guy's full of it. Don't follow him. Like they're trying to create this like godlike atmosphere around their their hitting. Like bro, hitting's not that important in real life. So stop. <laughs> like you're. It doesn't matter if that kid can hit a 400 foot home run right now. All it matters is that you're supporting him and you're helping him out and that you're you're guiding him. Stop being so serious. <laughs> rocket science it's like you know, my, it's not and egos are like okay i can't even have a conversation with you because i can't fit in a room with your ego or your head right now like i want to talk a little bit we can have a conversation yeah, um right. you know my i keep it simple all the time you know, like for me i want my teams to hit i want them to hit the baseball and they know up front hands down i'm gonna watch your swing you know i have i have this crazy ability because of of, of catching and like picking up on pitchers tendencies. And I teach a lot of the mental side once they get the mechanics down and we'll work a ton on mechanics. And sometimes people are like, why, why you have, you've done three lessons, three hours. You haven't even thrown them a pitch yet. I said, yeah, because the mechanics aren't there yet. And then we'll go to pitching and it's like, okay, well, 
why aren't they hitting the ball? Well, you can have the best mechanics in the world, but if your timing's off, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter, right? Timing's so important. Like, that's like the number one thing you have to be good at. I it, I always point to the guy from LSU. He he played when I played. I forgot his name, but he was leading the nation in batting average. And I was like, who is this dude? Like, he is just on a tear. And I, and I looked it up on YouTube, and his mechanics were god-awful. I'm like, how is this guy doing it? Because he timed up pitches. He could time up everything, and his barrel stayed in the zone so long. That's what it is. And, and like for me, my foundation starts with all my teams. Listen, I know hands down without watching you guys hit, I know each and every one of you based on how baseball is today. You think more than anything else the rest of your day than you do playing video games. You think more in the box than anything else. And that just disrupts everything that you do. So the less you think and the more you can react to a pitch and what's coming at you, the more relaxed you are, the more your body takes over. Because when you – you have so many negative thoughts in your head. So if you step in a box, say, don't swing at a high fastball. Well, guess what? That kid's throwing a high fastball. What do you think you're naturally and intrinsically going to do? You're going to swing at the high fastball. You just mm -hmm. told yourself not to do it, right? So let's, you know, I can, I can throw UBP. And if you're thinking about everything, your mechanics change every swing. So I know you're thinking too much. You're just, you're in your own head. You got to, we have to relax. We have to calm down, deep breath, get a good routine and just react. So we want to teach our kids to just, beat the crap out of the baseball, drive the baseball. If it's a two strike approach, you know, line up a little bit, get a little bit lower. You're not trying to hit a home run. We just want you to put the ball in play. Okay. Just put autonomy, man. It's autonomy. It's freedom. Like that, that's where I, I'm reading a really interesting book called drive. And it's about this guy who is talking about motivation stuff, like uh, motivation 2.0. Like how do you get people to do certain things? And back in the day, this is more of a business book, but it, it's definitely correlating to our conversation right now is that he talked about Ford and the factories and trying to get these people to be motivated. And so that what they did was they paid them more to get a product at the end of it so that if they did more, they got paid more. Right. But then as you start getting into creative and there's more dynamic atmospheres and it's more of a wicked environment, that type of motivation is like a reward system is not good. So then when you have something, it's called motivation 3.0 is that I got to give them freedom to be able to execute a plan. I can't, and I view mechanics as that factory floor. They start thinking about mechanics so much, their drive starts going down, they hate the game, and they don't know how to react, and they're, they're thinking way too much. They're, they're just in this mode of, uh, well, the reward is I get to have my, my coach say I did a really good job. That's the reward. Rather than what the reward should be is I'm, I'm playing for my guys. I'm playing for my boys or my girls or whatever. And we're going to go out there and we're going to compete and we're going to win. and We're going to kick some ass like that. That's, that is freedom. That is autonomy. That's not management. That's not putting you in a box. Like it has to look this certain way. If you don't do it this certain way, then you can't play the game. It's not that like you, you gotta, you have to, you have to be able to time up pitches. That's the main priority. And then after that you get into you can get into a little bit of the mechanics because it enhances it. Tom, I'm talking way too much. I haven't heard from you yet. What, what's your what's your thoughts on this? I was letting you guys go, and I'll jump in. But uh, I'm going to tell you what. I mean, you know, it, you guys touched on it. I mean, going through Twitter, and, and believe me, I mean, social media, God bless it. And I, I very rarely will ever try to jump in and the people will be like, okay, now, 
you know, analyze it. Please give me some out. Nope, I'm not going to touch it because then there's going to be a thousand people that are going to jump on and tell you this way, that way, and 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 it's great. But my thing is, yeah, number one, it goes back. Um, you know, you can give you can give somebody those hundred different drills to do and everything like that. You hit the nail right on the head, Spike. Number one, if you can't time something up, you know, then you're you can have the prettiest swing in the world, this, that, and the other, and you're gonna say, "Man, I look so good. Why can't I hit?" Well, because your timing stinks, and it's knowing when when I talk to hitters and all that. And I'm like, okay, if there's a breakdown in your mechanics, it's your head, your shoulders, your hips, your hands, or your feet. There's five things. Five things. One, you know, those things are causing a flaw in in your swing mechanics. But the whole thing is is just getting them, getting that timing, and talking about timing and where you want to hit the ball, and. You know, showing, taking time to show videos. Look, look at where these people were hitting the ball and, and, and look at look at how it is. And so many people think that they know about hitting and they get on there. And I just see drill after drill and drill. Well, the feeds are filled with drills and uh, they're not having these these conversations where, um, what, what what actually is a better result? What actually works? What moves the needle? Is it, Are you just trying to grab eyeballs because you've just put up a drill that no one really wants to try and it's freaking hard to execute? Or are you, try, are you trying to um, actually help people? And th this, this, gives a, this gives me a really good question for you guys is, I know we're in the winter, but at some point we're going to get into pregame and um, we're going to be out there in, in the, on the fields. What what is, how do you approach that pregame um, with your hitter? Well, I, like for me, it was a good example. You know, like Tom missed Saturday's practice, and I was there. It, when you work with it, when you're working with different hitters, and you're you have conversations, and if you have active learning, where you force them to have conversations with you, right? It's a lot of feel. What do you feel? And now they're starting to understand. Like, oh, I feel my backside collapse. I'm feeling my my shoulders opening up and I'm pulling the ball. And then now you're getting into a game situation. You're taking BP, you know, one of our coaches pitched at Mount Union. So he's throwing everything under the sun, right? And everyone's looking at his arm slot. They're trying to figure out what he's doing with his arm slot. And he has somewhat of a similar arm slot. So they couldn't pick up the difference between his curveball and his fastball. And they're struggling to play. And I go, guys, I've watched four pitches. I can tell you when he's throwing what. Can you tell me how or why? And they all, there's four guys standing right there. They just looked at me and they said, no, coach, I have no idea. What are you seeing that I don't see? Great. Now we started a conversation. Mm -hmm. Look at his leg. Tell me what he's doing with his leg. Took one kid. He looked at it. He goes, oh, I understand. He has, he has a short leg kick and a real short stride when he's throwing a fastball. Now, okay, good. Now you're understanding it. Okay, so him, even at the college level, what does he do on a curveball? He slows himself down intentionally trying to throw that curveball, right? Now, it doesn't happen for every higher level pitcher, but higher leg kick, longer stride, and his hands drop when he when he breaks because he's trying to slow himself down to throw that. So now, okay, start there. You see what he's throwing. Now our routine going through in the batting in the batter's box after that, we we were just crushing the baseball because now we weren't anticipating what was coming and guessing. We took the thought process out, trusted our bodies, and reacted to what we saw. And that's 
to me, that's the best way to do it because now you can see the ball when you get them to that point where they can see the barrel hit the ball. I think a lot of times, a lot of times where you see these drills, like, like how many times do you see a drill? Do they actually explain the intent why? Or like, I'll see a drill and I'll say, man, he's, he has two extra flaws that he's developing now. So what is the actual intent of this drill? And yeah, I will, I'll say, I'll say this on drills is like, I, when I first started coaching, I thought that everything was answered by a drill. But as I've gotten older on, on my coaching and actually really observing good hitters, I don't think drills are really the answer for certain things. Like I'm, I'm, I literally stick to three drills and three drills only. I don't, I don't go outside of that because, because it sits inside my philosophy. Now you might go to a certain, I might go to Tim or Tom and their philosophy might be different and they trust these three drills because they're trying to accomplish a certain thing. So I'm not on this bandwagon of, I think the drill culture that social media has promoted because it's easy and you're going to get eyeballs. I don't like that because it really, it, it, it preys on the, it preys on the person that's not really educated inside of baseball because they don't know right, what exactly. they know. Right. And or if know, you know what they know. If you have those conversations, like a good example for me, I got a 15 year kid that would have been a good fit for our national team. He's a great hitter. He struggled on the outside because he was always afraid that he wouldn't hit the ball on the outside. Well, mechanically off the tee, he's excelled. He's at like 80, 85% now. And, and we use the percentages. So we transitioned to that timing aspect and throwing the ball. It took, it took three weeks of us working and communicating where I was seeing certain things and we're trying to trying to get him to where we needed him to get. And he finally got to the point where I threw a curveball at his head and it broke across the middle inside of the plate. And his timing was actually good. And he made solid contact, drove the ball to left center. And he said, you know what, coach, I figured it out. I struggle seeing the rotation on the ball to know when to hit. And it took, it took three weeks on a good hitter with a good coach working with him where I knew he was struggling with some timing. But if you don't have those conversations, how would I ever have known that he struggled on seeing the spin, even though I've mentioned it probably 30 times with him and I've tried to teach him and explain it, but he just didn't get it. So if you don't have that act of learning, you can try everything under the sun. You can stick to your three things and then you're racking your head at home. Like, okay, we did this, we did this. How can I adjust it and, and adjust the situation to get him to learn it? But if you don't have this conversation, he never would have been able to explain that to me had we not gone down the foundational path that we had. And because he, he told me that now we know what to work with next, right? It's a big aspect where you got a lot of parents that are like, I don't know what to look. I have no idea what's wrong with my kid's swing, but I see 10 drills over here. It, like Matt Lau, good example. He has a hundred different swing fixes. And I'm like, I don't need a hundred. I might use a couple for certain players here and there, but <laughs> that, that's a little much for me to even it's, remember. Well, yeah. He's, I mean, he's different and you know, I'm just, real easy and simple. I mean, um, you know, everything, everything is about long ball now and everything. And I always tell my teams and Tim can, can tell you, man, what we, my teams work on situational hitting, knowing how to do stuff. Number one, I always say, don't want to leave. I, I don't want our team leading the league in home runs may happen or what, but I want to, I want to leave 
lead the league in RBIs because that my kids can drive runs in. They know situations and they and and they square balls up and they drive balls in. I can't see tell you how many times in probably the past ten years when you get two, three, and four coming up or three, four, and five, and there's bases loaded and all that, and these guys don't score or score one run. To where if 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 because number one, okay, we hit an infield fly, uh, getting out, and you know the other thing is they they won't go the other way with an outside pitch and just put the ball on the ground or strike out. But I mean, I I, I go back and. Uh, Ted Williams always used to come to Red Sox spring training. And uh, I'm going to date myself here. Because we, we, <laughs> you already dated me before we before we started, Tom. You're like, hey, when were you born? I was like 1989. Oh, I played in 87 and 86 and 85. On the record, though. <laughs> now it is. For everybody on the record. That, and, and, you know, we were in Fort Myers uh, and spring training is there for the Sox. But the Sox spring training was in Winter Haven at the time. And... The, you know, Ted Williams would come down and everybody, everybody was like, man, we're going to talk hitting. Ted's here today. And all that. Ted Williams had three words for everybody that wanted to talk about hitting. See the ball. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are you talking? He's like, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, you, you want to know why I hit so well? I see the ball. I, I see the ball here. I see the ball there. Hit the ball, hit the ball out in front here. If it's outside, as middle, bam, just a little bit longer, and and it goes back to the to the thing. I mean, when you give kids and you put all these drills in, and 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 you spend your time with uh, that, I mean, like like our our our, our philosophy is hitting that outside pitch. All of our soft toss is 99% of it is out, is, is, is outside. So that they're like, bam, they're used to seeing that. And then, number one, the, the expectation and the objective, you're driving the ball up the middle or, or the other way. That's how you know um, if someone is really well-versed in a topic is being able to take something super complicated and being able to simplify it. And Ted Williams, because when I first started learning hitting when I was in college, I thought Ted Williams was full of it. Like some of the stuff that I was hearing about, like what he taught, but now looking back at it, he made it so simple on a complicated topic because he knew, he knew it inside and out. And I, I implore people when they have an instructor that makes that use a lot of jargon or uses a lot of drills that are super complicated, it really tells you if that person really knows the topic or if they don't know the topic. If they're able to simplify it in five-year-old terms or six-year-old terms, you got a really good instructor and they are undervalued. And, here, and here's, the, here's the other thing, Spiker, in all seriousness, you don't have time to think, see the ball. Yeah, a lot of it is seeing the ball and reactions. 
And if you have some good hand-eye coordination, guess what? You're going to be a good hitter. And your your confidence is going to grow because of it. Um, and that goes back to the management side of things. Like, as a coach, you've got to manage that and make sure that you don't talk about mechanics because then you're putting a restriction on them. When you put a restriction on them, they don't have autonomy, they don't have freedom, and they're not going to be able to time up pitches. Players love freedom. They love simplicity. If you go super complicated and you try to put them in a box and say, hey, your back shoulder's dropping, your barrel's dropping, your back leg just sucks, then what do you think the, what do you think the player's going to think? Think about the other side. Like, man, this guy really hates me. <laughs> you know what? Here's the other thing, too. You know, you, you look at hitting – hey – Three out of ten times, and you're a Hall of Famer. So seven times, guess what? You may hit the whole ball hard and everything and score stuff, but you're going to make an out. So many people, you know, hey, man, I'm only hitting 500. I mean, God, you you should be. That means you're doing a, he, a heck of a job. But they, they look at the failure instead yeah. of the success. Yeah. And and the whole thing, the whole thing about it is what I try to do with my hitters is I never get into a mechanical thing with them during the game. That's all for practice, lessons, else like that. I mean, the, the message, hey, man, go tear the cover off. Yep. See it, see it and, and let it rip. I'm going okay. to buck the trend a little bit with, uh, with our organization. And I think Tom will, Tom will back this. The, the biggest thing you hear in baseball when it comes to hitting is launch angle. It's, it's like a nonstop. It's, a, it's beating in your head. You can have nightmares about it all day. No one really knows what launch, like they, they, they say it and they don't know what it means. And it, you can simplify it in, in certain terms and be like, you want to get the ball in this spot up in this angle. That's what you want. Don't think about 20 degrees, 15 degrees. Like when someone starts talking about launch angle and saying, hey, we need you have at a 15 degree angle. Like, bro, let's make this super simple. Get the guy on a tee. Let's see how far you can hit it. Well, that's the thing. It was what I love the most about our guys because we've taught them so much is if you ask any of our players now, they can tell you what an attack angle is because we don't even talk about launch angle. And I tell them point blank. I'm like, if you want to talk numbers and you want to go down that path, it's a waste of your time because you're already telling me that, like, oh, I want to hit a 25, I want to hit this. I said, 13 degrees is all you need at a major league level or any level to hit a line drive over a second baseman or a shortstop's head. Can you tell me what 13 degrees is right now just with your eyes? And they just look at you dumbfounded. I'm like, just hit a line drive. Just hit a line drive. Go out there and do it. If you have a good attack angle and you see the ball, you see the barrel hit the ball, now you're good. And when you start seeing the barrel hit the ball, guess what? When I call on you to do a hit and run because guys are pinching the middle, you can lay that ball down on the right side and you know how to do it because you have a good attack angle. You know how to hit the ball. You know how to see the ball. And our guys understand it like, yeah, what's launch angle? Well, we have to have a good attack angle because if we don't have a good attack angle, then we're never going to hit the ball. So we've touched on that more than launch angle. And I've had so many parents ask me about it. And now everyone understands what the heck an attack angle is. And launch mm -hmm. angle is just, that's the result of it. That's it. That's all it is. It's just a result. That's it. Yeah, and I want to I want to implore people that don't think that we're saying if players start asking you about data, uh, I don't maybe you guys are different on this, but I think you have to explain it. Don't like shoo them off and be like, don't worry about it. I, I do think that you have to explain that and say, uh, what does 13 degrees look like and go through it instead of and not being, oh, it's a line drive. Now go away. <laughs> no, you have to explain it. They do because that's that's like the status quo now and that's the hot topic. 
Um, and they always ask like, Oh, I want to know my kid's exit below. And I'm like, okay, well, how about, you know, let me explain your exit below, but I'll, let me, let me tie in torque. So if I tie in torque, you can have a really fast bat and have great exit below, but if you're not swinging with your body, I'll take a kid that has slower exit below, but a lot more torque because he's going to hit the ball a lot harder. And they're like, Oh, well, what is torque? Now we open up another conversation. That's just your hip rotation, get through and just drop curiosity man you got to build that curiosity like you want them to ask as many questions as they possibly can not to a point where it's like an annoying question like it's like a two-year-old asking a bunch of questions you want it more at like the six-year-old seven-year-old curiosity so um i i really do like that i like that a lot um tom we have not talked about recruiting and we are now heading into the almost 90 minute mark here um i think it'd be a I, I think it'd be a good idea to hop on another one because again, we're, we're going to approach, we're going to approach the two hour mark real quick. Like it's going to be super fast. And I do want to hear your thoughts on recruiting because again, you're from, you're on the East coast. I'm in the Midwest. Um, I talked to Josh in the West coast on his recruiting philosophies um, and his thoughts. I think it is dynamic when you do live in certain areas. I know that there's some foundational things that um, need to be in play, but I know for our organization, I want everything out in the open so that people know what is right and um, they can make their own judgments on recruiting. So let's, let's stop here. Um, at this point, we'll, we'll, we'll go into recruiting next round. Um, I know that that conversation, I have no idea where it could end up. It could be 30 minutes. It could be 90 minutes. Who knows with, with the three of us. So, um, I want some recaps on, from today's conversation, um, what your big takeaways from from this and then i'll close it out so tim go ahead and hit it off with your recap uh best recap you know you got to be a teacher overall and don't if you're going to be a director or if you want to be a good coach surround yourself with people that know the game don't don't shy away from and don't be afraid of adding in a new school flair with old school wisdom at the same time right you know tom's kind of like a dad and, and not, not many kids listen to their dads anyway, but don't be afraid to take ideas and look at things and don't be afraid to ask questions, but learn as much as you can from other guys, because there's a lot of things that other people do that are awesome and you can implement yourself and you can even say like, okay, yeah, I, that's a good idea. Here's what I add to it. Now, maybe they learn something too. Um, but teach your guys, you know, teach your guys and don't overwhelm them. Don't be that guy that throws massive drills and a million things to confuse your players because now you're forcing them to think a ton right simplify things get the curiosity going and have a foundation where you're building up and and my my philosophy is 70 percent before we go to the next round you know i want you to to understand it and feel it and go whether it's hitting whether it's catching whether it's calling pitches you know don't do something to advance to a player that's not ready yet build him up before they get there tom number one and it's number one breakdown of, of everything in the world and, and you know communication you have to be able to communicate with with your your players with your coaches with your parents and and building and building that culture and and you know letting them see and and the basically the other thing like I said I mean it, baseball is a simple game I mean it it really is that you know, you you learn how to do stuff, you know, fundamentally sound and everything like that. And, it, it, you know, I just think that 
so many things aren't fundamental anymore and and you know that it's it's okay we want to go this way and try to do this that and the other stick to stick to building your fundamentals they've been there the whole time they're never going to change i mean you you, you know you feel you feel the ball well. You throw the ball well. You hit the ball well. And when you do all those things, guess what? You're you're winning games. And when you can mix that in with all your kids liking each other and playing for each other and playing as a team, I mean, that's a you're building the right culture in that way. I think I think one thing to pair off of that, and and more so for for the Tigers as a whole. You know, our, our image, our brand and everything, it's starting to get out there more and more. There's a lot of guys that are interested, no matter what part of the country you're in. Right. Don't shy away. If you take the Tigers culture and you add your spice to it, if you will, the culture is the number one foundation. If you build a culture, it will be like Field of Dreams. People will come. Players will come because everything in today's world is culture. Right. No matter what area you look in, what venue you're looking in. Whatever the topic is, there's always a culture behind it. And if you have a strong culture with your coaching staff, with your director, with your parents, they'll buy into it. And now they're telling other people about it. And then the kids will see it. Now they want to be part of that culture, right? So it's it's self-awareness of the culture that you're in now versus what you can be part of. And if you have that culture, it sells itself basically. But you just have to you have to maintain that culture. You know, don't don't step outside too much. Don't leave yourself too lacid. Stick to that culture, and and you'll be able to do whatever you put your mind to. It's a it's a networking effect, right? I love network effects. Um, when you have that, it becomes very dynamic, and you have more minds and more thoughts. That's why I love this Tiger interview series. That's why I love doing the podcast because I'm getting thoughts that I've never had in a. Um, during my career or during the time that, um, I was just literally focused in on, um, my team and what we're doing here in St. Louis. I think getting the regional program up and started, it's helped our location out a ton. And I can see it starting to build in the other locations as well as we're doing this interview series and talking to you guys. And obviously the national team was a huge step for the organization. So I think from a networking effect, it's been, it's been awesome. So, um, I really appreciate your guys' time. I know it's very valuable. So thank you for jumping in on, um, this interview series. I want to do another one on recruiting. Um, we'll try to schedule that up for the audience so that they'll be able to hear the thoughts and ideas. Um, but thanks again, guys for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us.